What a gift Jesus sent us when he sent us the Spirit. He said it was better for us if he left, and we really didn't understand when he said those words. How could it be better if the one who we recognize as the one who has stepped in for us in our place is leaving our presence? And yet truly as he left to be seated at the right hand of the Father, he did send the Spirit through the Father to be with us forever. And that Spirit exploded onto the scene in the book of Acts. Thousands of people responded on that first Pentecostal season. And the ripples of that effect just kept multiplying throughout the area as the gospel moved from person to person, from community to community, from one home down the street to other homes. We pray and we thank you, O oh God, for all that work. And we ask you now to help us as we continue to lean into the scriptures in the book of Acts, that we might be able to catch a sense of the power that you've imbued upon us that we might continue to ask ourselves those troubling questions. Is the power loose in our lives or is it not? We thank you, Lord, for the presence of the power of your spirit we sense in our core group ministry here in this church. How the women who started, who would have figured it? In some denominations, that just couldn't happen, right? But in the Methodists, it can happen. In fact, the people who want to get the women out of leadership in the church don't stop to often think about what church would be left if the women weren't leading sometimes, many times. And certainly in the Methodist church, that's true. And certainly that's true in many cases in this church. As they conceived the vision of core group ministry, it started in the women's group, and it was so successful, now the men have picked it up. And not only that, but it's going to keep spreading because that kind of power, when it's unleashed to the people who are following God, cannot be held back. That kind of power comes from spirit that drives us and unites us as we serve and seek him. If you're not in a core group, you're missing out on the most exciting thing that the church has experienced in a long time. But we've got a few more tickets to sell. It's not too late. The next time they're gathering, you want to gather with a group that's gathering and be a part of this exciting ministry. Now, in this particular story, in the, I'm preaching from Acts 3 and 4. That should frighten you. It's a communion Sunday. We might be running a little bit late due to all the extracurricular activity. We've had some explosions in our electronics and all that. Uh, it is two chapters, and they're long. Fortunately, I'm a good storyteller, and I've shortened it a lot. We're going to hit to the high points in this story. But the high points begins before we read from the text today, all the way back into verse 6, when Peter and John were walking down the way, and they met the lame man who had been lame for 40 years sitting there by the gate. And when they reached him, of course, he heard them coming and heard who they were. And so he thought, man, I've got some alive one right here. So he started crying out even the more powerfully, the scriptures tell us. Wanted to get their attention because he knew they would be kind to him because they had been touched by the Jesus, the man. To his surprise, though, what happened, according to verse 6 there in that chapter, was different. Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And then he did something else. He didn't just speak words. He reached out and he took his hand and that man stood up. And he began to jump around and shout and to praise God for all that happened to him. That's the explosion of the gospel. And it came about because I'm sure Peter and John didn't stop when they saw that man crying out. But I believe they might have talked about it. They didn't share those words with us. We don't know what they said, but they might have said, okay, John, what are you going to do? And John said, Peter, what are you going to do? And they said, the question is, what are we going to do? What would the Lord do for this lame man? 
And then they did what the Lord would have done. They put faith in the mighty name of Jesus, and they reached out, and they touched that man. And you know, the first thing that has to happen for the gospel to explode is people have to act upon that which they know about the gospel. They have to act upon it. It's not enough just to say you believe in something or something is real. You have to act upon it. You have to take action in order for it to be released in the, in the community in which you're living. Now, there's a way that that action occurred here. It didn't say they went around and started taking a collection for the beggar. No, they said, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have, I offer you. What do you think a missionary says when they go off to the mission field? Man, we're loaded with money. i got to go there and find a place to spend it. Is that what you say, Liz, every time you leave? Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this support, but I'm going to try and find something to do with this money. No, that's not what they do. Rather, they go to that place knowing that probably they don't have enough to survive, but trusting that what they have is enough, and it's to be offered to others. It's not even for themselves. You see, the sign of an explosive spirit is a house filled with people whose hearts are generous. Hearts that are ready to explode, not for what it is for themselves or for their own benefit, but for the benefit of others. I don't know what I'm going to do for you, but whatever I can, and in this case, it was give you a hand and a word of faith, lift you out of your circumstances, and rise up and walk. And he did. And here's what people do, and they do this all the time. They do it sometimes when it's not even true. You say, what are you talking about? I preached a lot of sermons in 40 years. I haven't bothered to count them, but I've got files of them. I go back and some of them I throw away. <laughs> and sometimes, occasionally, I'll preach a sermon, and somebody will come by and say, that was a really good sermon, preacher. And you know what I'm thinking? Sometimes I'm thinking, were you listening? Because I thought it fell rather flat. It wasn't my best day. It wasn't my best moment. I didn't get out of the way of the Spirit enough. I didn't prepare enough. My mind was jumbled with thoughts and things going on. But they said, good job, preacher. That church is really going, preacher. You're really doing a good work. And I'll turn and let them pat the other side, too. They tried to pat Peter and John, too. That lame guy was hanging on to them like they were Jesus. And Peter saw it. That's what the scriptures say in verse 12. Look at what he says. In that verse right there. No, I, yes, verse 12. When Peter saw this, that he was clinging to them and people were standing in amazement, he said, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us? As if it is by our own power or piety we made him walk. The gospel does not explode because of the talents of individual persons. The gospel explodes because persons have emptied themselves as Christ emptied himself and allows the Spirit to fill their hearts and their minds. When someone comes to the gospel, when someone comes to Christ, it's not because someone witnessed this to them directly. It's because God has called and they finally heard. Anybody that's leading somebody to Christ, if they want credit for that, shame on them. Because it's Jesus who's drawing them. It's the Spirit who's wooing them. They're just vessels. They're a conduit. Now we know what happens if the conduit breaks down. We can't hear the piano. And David has to figure out what he's going to do next, right? That's his job. Figure it out, David. We're here. We're on the trot. But conduits are important, but the conduits are only there to conduct the real power that is coming from our Lord Jesus Christ through the Spirit. 
And you have to be a humble spirit to serve that way. And when you're not, churches get in trouble. Pastors get in trouble. Congregations get in trouble. Why isn't your church growing? Well, they just won't send us the right pastor. There's 493 of us there every Sunday, and you know we're still not growing. That pastor's not worth a nickel. The pastor's fault. Sure it is. When it's growing, it's pastor's credit. But we're a really good church, too. We're really friendly, and we really work hard. And You hear all the applause? Where you're growing or where you're not growing, the applause should be for the one in heaven. It should be for the spirit who's roaming loose in the world. That's the real gospel. That's the kind of gospel that explodes when it's not only is it generous, but it's humble. It has a humble spirit about its ministry. And when the church goes and ministers to others, we must have a humble posture toward them. And then the story just keeps unrolling in the scriptures. I'm obviously not going to read all of it. But look at what they know in, in chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. What they noted was, and let's just read it. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. There are two things in these passages of Scripture that's important. John and Peter were confident, not in their own abilities or in their own knowledge. They were confident that their faith in Christ would be rewarded. That's why they took that risk and stepped out in faith to do ministry. It wasn't because they had all the right answers. Too many American Christians today are waiting around showing a lack of confidence to share the gospel because they're afraid they don't know what to say or they don't know how to say it or they're afraid somebody will get mad or they're afraid they'll upset somebody. Heaven forbid that I should tell my grandson about the faith because he didn't want to hear anything about church. No. Heaven forbid. Don't, don't tell him about Jesus. Don't tell him he can live forever. Let him find out he can die. And maybe he'll die because you weren't willing to be even a conduit. You're, you're hoarding the gospel when you don't share it. And you say, preacher, you're getting naughty. Yes, I hope so. And I wish I could microphone it out to churches across this land. When 50% of us are not going to church or following Jesus or have some nebulous idea that we're going to heaven in a little rowboat, slap, clap, that's not going to get us there. People can't take the gospel and hold it inside like this, like it's just for me. The gospel's for the community. The gospel's for the world. The gospel's for those who haven't been saved. And every time the church begins to hold on to it because of the lack of confidence in Jesus... gospel just burns down until the embers are barely putting off any heat at all. It's just that kind of a situation sometimes we face in life. We don't like to admit it. We don't like to see it in our churches. But they say churches hit a zenith. They explode and they grow. And the first 15 years or so of a church is usually after it started and planted new. It just grows, 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 grows. They're so excited to share the gospel. And then it plateaus, plateaus, plateaus. Grows, grows, grows. We're all about others. And then we're all about ourselves. And it plateaus, it plateaus. And we're not even very good about all about ourselves. We already know about each other. And then it starts to decline, decline, decline. It's just the way it works. Unless that explosion continues to resonate with the power of God's spirit, the church will begin to die. The healthiest church on the world can't live forever unless it's replaced 
by the awesome power of a spirit that's alive and well. And so when we gather together as Methodists today, we'll talk about a lot of things, a lot of kind of useless. Uh, don't be going calling the bishop and telling him I said that, please. But the reality is, I mean, we'll do financial reports and business reports. We'll hear about ministries that already happened. Uh, we'll do things, but we'll talk very little about what's going to happen. Because, you know, that's kind of what churches do. We get caught up in where we are. And that's what people do. We get into our routines. And then we kind of get flat. It goes on in this story down toward the end of the chapter where though things, a good thing happened. They got in trouble. And you say, what do you mean a good thing happened? A good thing happened when the leaders came to John and Peter and told them to hush up. You can't be telling that story. You can't be going around talking like that. You can't be saying those things. <laughs> and what did Peter and John tell those leaders? Well, you have to decide what you're going to believe. And so will we, basically. Now, you tell us not to talk about what Jesus has done, but we can't help but talk about what Jesus has done. We're going to do it anyway. Boldness. Boldness. A young woman comes into a life of a family, and this young woman is full with struggles. And Bashir's had many reasons to give up on that young lady along the way, many reasons when they, were, they felt threatened by her. Even school officials warned Bob about it. I'm probably talking out of school, Bob. Tell me when to be quiet if I am. Go for it. I like it. But they didn't give up. They didn't quit talking about it. He didn't lose his job. And the young lady is a thriving Christian now because of that. You can't be worried about a little threat. If nobody's threatening you or your faith, it's probably because you're not showing it very much. Teachers in school say, well, I can't do this. I can't do that. Really? How many teachers have really been fired for their faith? Yeah, that's what I thought. Not very many. Is there some bully in your school that might come along and say, you can't say that? And you say, well, I can't say what? There's a way around it. You can't tell me that if I was in the classroom with 23 14-year-olds or 23 7-year-olds, God forbid, <laughs> that I can't find a way to tell them about Jesus without telling them about Jesus. It's just not possible. You can't be constrained. You can't constrain me with a law. I'm amazed that sometimes pastors get the heebie-jeebies when they're, they're afraid they're going to say something at conference that somebody else won't like. Well, I've said some things at conference I probably should have said. Scott Smith could probably tell you a story or two about that when I was young because I had more boldness than I had uh, strategy. <laughs> That's true. Just admit it. That years went on and I got so strategic, however, that I just started kind of getting back, just backing off more and more. And in fact, last couple of years, people said, how come you never go to the mic anymore? And I said, I got smarter. I'm not for sure that's true. I'm afraid I might have given up on some things. Now, this year, I'm going to the mic again for the first time in a while as a presenter of a resolution. It's going to really be fun for somebody. But I was asked to do it because some other somebodies weren't conf confident that they would be heard well, and they weren't real confident about where the next appointment might be if they heard it. 
do I care where I'm going next? Nope. Is Bishop going to send me somewhere next? Nope. Can't do that anymore. He's had his last shot at that when I came here. Going somewhere else will mean I'm going home. You know, that'll be my choice. So it's just not a thing, but it really never was a big thing back then either. You remember that year, Scott, that, and I'm going to be through here. Don't get panicky. But I remember I went to the microphone, and I called the then-sitting bishop by the name of the previous bishop. Wow. Wow. And I, if I remember correctly, Scott may remember more exactly. I don't remember exactly, but I remember him saying, Doug, you know, I'm still your bishop. I can send you somewhere else. Uh, I said, where else would you send me? <laughs> I was already way out there. <laughs> but at any rate. Don't be talked out of being bold. Now, I'm not talking about being mean or mean-spirited. I'm talking about being generous and humble. I'm talking about allowing the explosive power of God's Spirit in you to be shared, acting on your faith and not being afraid. You see, in this story, and in all the stories of Christian faith, the ripple effect is real. When you raise your children in the Lord, it's true they may turn away for a while. It's true some of them may make their own choice later on. It's not that, but it's also true that some of them become that ripple that shakes the world. We invest ourselves in our children because we believe in our children. And they accept what they accept from us because they believe and trust in us. And that, in that passing on of family values and culture is also the passing on of the faith. And if we're not generous or humble, if we're not confident, if we're not acting upon what we believe, if there's no boldness in what we're saying, then the Spirit can't be growing in us and the Spirit can't be growing through us. And the ripple effect breaks down. But if we're committed, the gates of hell do not threaten us. If we're committed and don't give up and make more and more room for the Spirit to breathe again into our lives, then our impact will never, ever go away as long as we draw breath upon this earth. So I pray for you today, as a church of Jesus Christ, that you allow the Spirit to not only grow in you as an individual, but you share it within this community, even as you have been doing. And I pray that you get so bold that this community cannot hold your witness, but it goes out to spread the good news of God's love through every neighborhood in this area until that neighborhood expands and just eats up Carrollton, Texas. Because that's what God put us here for. And we come now to remember the one who inspires us, the one who saved us, to remember our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we come to the, prepare ourselves to come to the table, we come to be ready to receive a fresh outpouring of that spirit. And so I ask you to join with me in the confession of faith that we recite when we take up the Lord's Supper. Because you see, it is in confessing our sins that we draw close to God, when we can really experience His grace. Now, as I say that and share that, read with me not this prayer, but say these words as your prayer. And then they're not a written prayer, they are your prayer. Let us pray together. 